www.infinitesmiles.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. On this particular podcast, Gina Rocco will offer up her introductory talk given on June 6th, 2011. We'll follow that up with our regular Infinite Smile Dharma talk. I hope I'm doing this right. So, a few days ago, my son wanted to show me how to box. And he's been taking boxing classes for a few months. Um, so he brought me upstairs, and before, you know, we were all ready to box the, the um, what do you call it, like the, yeah, punching bag. And I turned to him and I bowed. And he looked at me like, Mom, there's no bowing in boxing. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and it cracked me up, first of all, but second of all, it just got me to thinking about bowing and how, uh, how sacred it is when we bow to each other that it's um, a recognition of not to. Um, when we look in each other's eyes, I see God looking back at God, basically. Um, boundaries drop. And I think there should be bowing in boxing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are each an arising of the total being. And when we bow to each other, it's like um, dying to the not to. And so it got me to thinking about this, um, this dying and how there are opportunities every single day in our lives for dying to not to, um, to dying to the notion of to. And to see past the person, not only um, my person, but your person as well. Um, and so it kind of ties into what I'm going to talk about later, which is, um, this question that we can ask ourselves, what's in the way of awakening? And of course, from the ultimate perspective, there's never anything in the way, never. Um, but since we're human beings in the world, uh, Things come up that seem to be in the way. Um, there are opportunities all over the place. One of them is right now. I was given the opportunity by Michael to talk and again to meet this fear that I have of being in front of everybody and talking about, as Michael says, effing the ineffable because um, talking is hard enough sometimes, but talking about something that's so, um, that you can't get to with words is frightening. Um, so I see it as an opportunity to uh, 
die to emptiness because I'm just sitting here trusting that uh, emptiness can find the language of silence will be able to translate into words and I'll be able to talk about it. So there's a poem I'm going to read you regarding uh, seeing past the person. And then after that, we'll meditate. Where you are. If you try to grab handfuls of sky to hoard like jewelry or wisdom, gathering clouds will seem to screen out light and nothing will be seen clearly. But if you shrink to a pinpoint with infinite sky as backdrop, Though dark storms may roil and toss, stillness will illuminate the watching, and everything will be seen clearly. Every birth belongs to the universe. Emptiness is pregnant with the moon. See the moon within, born by the same intelligence that breathes the oak, that breathes you, and blooms the flower. Awareness meets itself, not as an it, but as an is, right where you are. You are never torn apart from this moment. You are never apart from this moment, which has nothing to do with time. Die there. So I got into this very interesting discussion with this uh, minister, uh, he's Christian, and I always find that because I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not official, you know, I'm just this guy who, uh, you know, sits in front of people and talks on Monday nights. Uh, I don't, I don't, um, <laughs> I'm uncredentialed as a, uh, as a scholar or, a, you know, lineage holder or whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the individual that I was speaking with was talking about, uh, you know, his approach towards Christianity and wondered about my approach towards Buddhism. And I said, well, you're making a big assumption there and that that's that I'm a Buddhist. And he says, well, if you're not a Buddhist, what are you? And I said, well, uh, um, I'm a human. <laughs> and he, he had about that reaction, you know, kind of a, <laughs> come on, you know, level, level with me here, pal. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I really struggle with the, uh, with the identification, with the, whether it's, you know, I'm part of the Buddhist tribe or I am, uh, you know, anything other than somebody who's been trained 
in the Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist tradition. Because I think what the Buddha was saying and where he was pointing, while different in scope and flavor, is very similar to what the Christ talked about, very similar to what Muhammad was talking about, very similar to what you can find in any ancient text, the Upanishads, the Talmud, any, take any, literally, any tradition, and they're, they're pointing towards a basic core rule, which is be good to each other. Okay, very simple. And then they all tend to fall into these three really interesting categories that I just wanted to share with you real quickly. This came up in the conversation I was having with this minister. In, the, in, in, in one realm, you have the historical approach to whatever tradition you're looking at. You know, what was the historical Buddha like? What was the historical Christ like? What was the historical Muhammad like? What was the history? Now, and we have data. Um, how accurate it is, anybody's guess. Okay? But there's this historical approach. Very grounded, um, you know, if you will, fact-based, tries to be objective and so forth. Not making value judgments, but here's what it looks like was said and, and so forth. We then have the second approach, which is becomes kind of uh, um, traditionalized. I, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Um, wherein we have a situation where the the what was said historically is then interpreted and given life, if you will, in both positive and negative ways. Positive in that they tend to point us towards that orientation, towards being good to each other, right? Negative sometimes in that people look at the word as written as absolute in and of itself. So that the word becomes what's important as opposed to what the word is pointing to. In Buddhism we talk about, you know, don't confuse the finger with the moon, you have your teacher pointing to the moon saying, look, and everybody's looking, worshiping the finger. It's like, no, look at the moon. Yeah, but that finger. You know, it's, it can get confusing because we, we mistake where the words are pointing. Instead, we look at the words themselves. Fundamentalism crops up here quite obviously. The really cool third area that kind of came up in our conversation is how is it that the Buddha speaks of awakening? Just like how is it that Christ speaks of awakening? You know, the famous line, uh, offer him the other cheek. If you're hit, offer him the other cheek. Utter opening, utter surrender. Okay? I love the uh, biblical, three-word biblical line. Help me if I'm getting this wrong. It's three words. I should be able to nail it. It's uh, resist, not evil. Don't resist. Don't resist. Resisting evil is just adding unconsciousness into the mix, which creates more unconsciousness, which is another way of saying evil to somebody who's unconscious about unconsciousness. I'll say that again. Unconsciousness meeting unconsciousness creates a label in both parties' minds that they call evil. 
Evil is simply unconsciousness that has a partner that is also unconscious. There can be no evil unless it's resisted, in other words. That's Christ. And yet it's so core to what we talk about in this group, in this work, which is you know, deeply inspired by the Buddhist teachings. Let go. Let go. Anyway, this kind of this third space that uh, he and I ended up kind of talking about was, was really, really powerful to me because um, I think this is the direction, actually, that uh, a contemporary and relevant spirituality will lean. And it's my hope that not only Infinite Smile, but other small sanghas and larger ones are able to kind of navigate that path in really, really constructive ways. And we can recognize this is about enlightenment. This is about waking up to what's prior to all of that other stuff that we have in our life. This is about coming home to our original, true nature. It's about what's beneath all of the layers and layers and layers of additional stuff we've put on ourselves. It's about getting underneath all of the vanity. And vanity doesn't show up just with makeup or the kind of car that you drive or the kind of clothes that you wear or the kind of friends that you keep. Vanity shows up in every aspect of our life. It's whenever we identify with some particular ideology. It's whenever we identify with some particular way of being or way of seeing the world. It's when we actually color the lens as opposed to cleaning the lens. And you might be able to say, well, the lens may, may be rose in its color. I can still see through it and see through it clearly, but it still can distort. And so what we uncover in this third realm of spirituality that's really looking towards awakening is we're looking for something that is totally lacking distortion. We're looking for that clarity that, as I spoke about a couple weeks ago, shows up the minute we still ourselves and we can begin to see this stream of life slow down so much that the bottom becomes clear. We can see everything that's getting in the way of the free flow of our life. And in doing so, we can figure out what needs to be attended to. That rock there is keeping stuff from happening. It's time I did some lifting. And that lifting, rather than actually being, you know, some type of physical act or something you necessarily take care of with a therapist, although it could be, it really is about giving your full attention to it. Your full attention to it and seeing through to its core. Every single time we sit in meditation... And we meet up with this very natural stillness. Whenever we do that, that clarity arises. And it may not show up in that moment. It's not like we're sitting still and suddenly, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to deal with that. Let's meditate on it. You know, that, that actually is counterproductive. Okay? 
the kind of meditation we're talking about here is opening ourselves so totally and so completely to experience that anything that arises as it is, we just watch with our full attention, let it play itself out while we relax in this witnessing awareness. And what happens is we start to develop an entirely different perspective in relationship to every single thing that goes on in our life. Our sorrow shows up as sorrow. And instead of indulging the sorrow, or instead of trying to break free of our sorrow, instead of, if you will, resisting our sorrow that our unconscious mind sees as evil, we resist not evil. We actually make ourselves available to its slings and arrows. And we'd see it not as outrageous fortune, but as a gift, of, a potential gift of complete awakening. Every single thing that shows up in our life is an offering into the heart of awakening. It's, it's, it's asking us to follow. Any of us in this room who has really dealt with crushing heartbreak, or is dealing with crushing heart, you're, you're being invited. Anybody in this room who has had this low-level malaise kind of eating away at them for 15, 20 years, it's inviting you. Even the good stuff. I had one of the most kick-ass chocolate chip cookies. I mean, I, have, I'm, I really like chocolate chip cookies, as you know. And there was, my wife made this batch this last week, and they were like transcendent. And it's, I'm like, honey, what'd you put in these? And she goes, shortening. I'm like, what? Short? She goes, yeah. Somehow, like, livens them up a little. Now, how, who would have known? I, it was somebody obviously knew. I mean, she did, but uh, it was just, it was really remarkable. But it's like, that cookie. I remember I was eating it. It was the last one, which is probably part of the reason why it tasted so good. But, you know, I took a bite of it. And I'm like, oh, my God. I had the same experience uh, uh, a couple of years back at a restaurant where every single course that came out was one of these just hammers. So it's not all bad. It doesn't have to be. But anything can give us that invitation. It's just that usually when something is really tasty or something is really, uh, uh, you know, like let's say it's uh, take it to a real base level. Let's say it's a sexual experience or something like that. You're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's awakening. It's not that it's awakening. It's pointing you to it, just like your pain is pointing you to it. But the ego will always take pleasure and co-opt it and say, oh, no, 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 this is it. I want more of this because this is something I can, I can manage. <clears throat> the pain is not something it can manage. It wants to get away from it. Okay, What this teaching tells us is that regardless of the positive or negative nature of the feeling, there is something that is immediately prior to that evaluation of positive and negative. We call it being. And the minute we can rest in that spaciousness of just being is the minute that the positives and negatives no longer throw us off our center. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter if it feels good or if it feels bad. 
there is awareness. And this awareness begins to reveal itself as something that is, quite honestly, really potent, really cool. I know that's a value judgment, but it's, it's, uh, stuff doesn't stick to us in the same way. We're no longer bound. We're instead free. We're no longer squished. We're liberated. We're no longer resisting. And when that resistance begins to fall away, there's no more fear of loss. And if there's no more fear of loss, there's no more fear in general. If there's no more fear in general, there's no more anger. If there's no more anger, there's no more hatred. If there's no more hatred, we're seeing clearly, there's no more delusion. If there's no more delusion, there's no more greed. If we can undo greed, hate, and delusion, guess what? The entire wheel of samsara, to use a Buddhist term, stops. And we then can watch it. We just watch. We're off the wheel. We're no longer beating ourselves up, getting beat up, or beating anybody else up. We're just in it. With it. Beyond it. Being. So as we sit tonight, allow yourself to just be. You don't have to get anything. You don't have to seek anything. In fact, don't seek anything. Seeking always implies movement. Don't move. If your mind starts going off, just gently bring it. Hey, mind, there you go. Come on. Mm-hmm. Heal. Actually, don't do that. <laughs> but see, the mind is like a puppy sometimes. Hard not to love it. But just gently bring yourself back to your breath. Bring yourself back to this spacious, awakened awareness that you have with you right now. You couldn't hear my voice if you weren't aware. If you didn't have that witnessing awareness. You would not be able to feel the sensation you have right now in your legs unless you had that witnessing awareness. You would not be able to reflect inwardly unless you had that witnessing awareness. It's there. It's the one thing you can't escape. <laughs> this poor guy was... Uh, this wasn't that long ago, actually. He was saying... I, I was talking to him um, after, after Sangha, and he was saying, you know... You know <clears throat> At some point in time, I'll be able to do that whole witnessing awareness thing, and that sounds pretty cool, because if you can witness everything, then suddenly it's like you described. It's a, a big subject looking at these little objects that can't harm you. I said, well, that's, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. And I said, well, why can't you do that witnessing awareness right now? I said, oh, well, I've only been doing this a little while. I said, but the witnessing awareness is what you're employing right now. And it's like he looked at me... And his, like, glasses started to, like, slide down his nose. It was the funniest thing. Just like, uh, 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 like, something broke. But it's, it's never not there. You're aware right now. It's there. Be that awareness. Just be that awareness. It's totally unhindered. It's totally okay. 
it is okay with precisely everything. And there's tremendous freedom there. Consciously resting in and as that awareness, we free ourselves. And it frees itself through us. favorite quotes in spiritual terms uh, is from the great William Blake who says, a fool who persists in his folly will become wise. A fool who persists in his folly will become wise. This is why we meditate. Because the folly is each one of us thinks that somehow meditation is going to get us closer to some type of realization. Sorry. And while we might look at this as horrific news, and some of you may actually wish to throw something at me at this point, I would encourage you, hold back for just a moment. The point of meditation is not to get somewhere or to get something. It's not to attain. Okay? The point of meditation is to shut up and sit still. That's it. In shutting up and sitting still, we actually don't pursue anything. We're no longer seeking. We're no longer moving. We're shutting up and sitting still. Now, I know a lot of you very well and have for some years. And I know that I'm sitting in the midst of a bunch of people who don't often shut up. (laughs) It doesn't mean this is necessarily bad, okay? It just means it's a challenge. If you're one of these people who is also overtly silent much of the time, that doesn't mean that you are necessarily shutting up. Oftentimes people who are quiet really quiet, have this going on within their minds. Chatter, 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 chatter. They're not saying it, but it's going on. Really shutting up, truly shutting up, means that the mind has been paused, okay, and the body has been paused. Mouth is part of the body, so, you know. But that everything just gets... TiVo paused. Boop, boop. Everything. Okay? Remember that game you used to play when you were a little kid? Freeze! You know? <laughs> it's exactly what this is like in some respects, except instead of your kindergarten teacher telling you to freeze, now it comes in the form of a bell. Now it comes in the form of a ritual, perhaps, that you have at home during your day when you quiet down, when you have a bit of stillness. When that stillness really does incorporate or embody okay 
quietude within and without. Or better yet, within no matter what's going on without. When it's mind and it's body being still. We're no longer reaching for anything. Attainment is no longer the issue. Surrender becomes the issue. And we begin to let go of the stuff that we don't need. Actually, it kind of takes care of itself for us. I've popped off several times. It's not that we do meditation. It's that meditation ultimately does us. It actually, stillness, every time we actually sit still, when body and mind are both really still, it's like the doors begin to open a little wider, a little wider, a little wider, a little wider. Or maybe a better metaphor, the curtains open a little wider, a little wider, a little wider, and then daybreak comes. And it's like, oh my goodness gracious. And I've been thinking it was about getting something. It's not about getting. Like how would any of you get your liver right now? How would you get it? It's there. It's working. Spirit is there. It's it's there. You don't have to go get it. It's got you. The realization that it's got you comes from shutting up and sitting still. That kind of sounds like a kindergarten teacher, an angry kindergarten teacher. Shut up, sit still. You know? But that's really the work. That's really the work. So, if we can kind of approach our work as meditators, if if we can kind of see that um, meditation in and of itself, I heard it said this way once, I think it was by Ken Wilbur, he said, meditation is designed to fail at showing us that we're any closer to God than we already are. You can't get any closer to the infinite than you are right now. Even when you're like in some type of emotional state, you know, where you are really bound egoically, you're really angry or you're, you're really jealous or you're really, you know, you're hateful or spiteful or something like that. You, get, you scream at the television or something like that. You might think, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's you know, spirit isn't there. Well, spirit, yes, spirit is there. Spirit is never not there. Awareness is never not there. Stillness is never not there. It just gets clouded over. goes back to this metaphor of the lamp. That light is always there. There's just stuff on the lampshade that we allow to diminish our radiance. The sunshine is always there every single day. There are rainy days, though. Does that mean that the sun's not there? No. The sun is there. Awakening is there. Spirit, the infinite, God, whatever you want to call it, is there. This is what that third realm that I spoke with the minister points towards. Whether it's Christian, Buddhist, or any other tradition. How do we recognize that that sun's always there? That that shine is always there? What is it? What is this thing called meditation? Really, meditation is the full expression of who we are. I just talked with a a friend about this. 
And this is a real paradox. My teacher used to say this. We meditate because it's a chance for us to engage in our full expression. Well, wait a minute. Isn't full expression like if I'm just like singing the perfect note, you know, or, you know, dancing and I don't even feel my body as I'm doing the dance or swimming and I can't even feel my arms and legs as I'm powering through, you know, the bay or whatever it is, or that cookie. Isn't that full expression? No, full expression actually comes when there is no filter, when there is nothing covering the lens, when there is total and absolute clarity, no mind, no identification with anything getting in the way of our radiance. When nothing, when, there, when that lampshade is being just, when it's clean, that's full expression, when the radiance is most potent. And his point was that our radiance, individually and collectively, is never more powerful than when we are shutting up and sitting still. And I didn't get it for the longest time. It didn't, it didn't make sense. It kind of it was counterintuitive. It's like, no, full expression is like my... If I make that painting just so, or if I... Well, sure. That's... That is expression, but your full expression is an expression that is utterly, completely, and totally unadulterated. It's not filtered. It's not filtered through mind, through ego. It's utterly egoless. And when we're still, it's there. Well, by this rationale, we are in full expression every 24 hours. You look at our sleep cycle, go into dreamless sleep, you're in full expression at that point. You are alive, you are functioning, brain stems working, heart's beating, you're breathing, hopefully. Okay? It's you without any stuff, without any vanity. It's just raw, unadulterated expression of who you really are. Being able to consciously bring that into speech, into movement, into not shutting up and not sitting still. Being able to consciously bring that in allows for us to enact that bodhisattva vow of being helpful to ourselves and to others as we move through the world. So, how do we do that? How do we bring that? How do we start fusing those things together? How do we, how do we fuse this, this purity? Not that we're impure the other way. It's a horrible word. Forget, scratch that. Okay, I did not use the word purity. How do we take this radiance and bring it into the world consciously? It happens the minute we begin to witness our experience. Right now, you can all employ that witnessing awareness right now as I speak. I'll ask you this question. Please don't answer. Just, just let it in. How are you feeling right now? Check in with your body. Really check in with your body. Is there tightness anywhere? Is there anything that's unsettled? Is there anything that's being resisted? How are you feeling? 
you can't answer that question without employing the witnessing awareness that I'm speaking about. You can't. You can't answer the, how am I feeling? Uh, well, there's kind of a, there's a tightness behind my heart. I can feel it a little bit. Not so tight, but it's a little bit there. Okay. I can't do that unless I'm checking in, and you can't check in, you can't watch without that watcher, that witness. You can't do it. Try it again. This time it's a little easier. What are you thinking? Is there a thought, maybe a repetitive thought that's going off? You cannot answer that question. What are you thinking? What thought is arising? You can't answer that question without employing this witnessing awareness. This is something we back into. In Zen, we call it the backward step. We take this backward step and we start watching. We become the watcher. It doesn't mean that we don't participate. We absolutely participate. But instead of participating from the doer, we participate from, consciously, from the watcher that can inform the doer. This creates clarity. And this clarity allows for us to act in ways that are helpful. It's a really simple but powerful, powerful teaching. It's also awakening. (laughs) I mean, people have this idea that, that enlightenment is some giant, you know, blast off. Or, you know, suddenly my vision became clear and the room fell away. Maybe it is all that, okay? But to assume that enlightenment is going to show us anything other than a pointer, an enlightenment experience, in other words, is going to show us simply a pointer as to which way to go. In and of itself, some type of awakening experience, some type of transcendent blast, isn't enlightenment. The state that we are, you know, kind of happens through shutting up and sitting still doesn't mean that we are an enlightened state. Enlightenment is not a state. If it is, it's temporary. <laughs> so what we're, what we're really doing here is we're actually getting to this place where we can begin to observe even the enlightenment experience itself. We can witness that which merely adds clarity to what the enlightenment experience is pointing toward. And what is the enlightenment experience pointing toward? Witness. Watch. Be the seer of the scene. Take that backward step. Watch your experience. And you'll be amazed. I mean, it doesn't mean that... I mean, guys, life happens. Horrible stuff happens. And it's not that awakening to this spacious witnessing awareness that we can begin to orient our life around and from. It's not that that will suddenly make everything, you know, 
candy and gold. Instead, it allows us for it allows for us to feel, to see and experience our situation much more deeply, more consciously. We become more conscious. And the byproduct of that consciousness, which can only go in one direction, it only expands. When our consciousness begins to expand, there's so much more room in our hearts and minds that joy actually starts to become that baseline. Maybe not always. But if the joy isn't there, what are you able to do? Watch the non-joy. Do you resist it? No. You resist not evil. You resist not pain, not non-joy. It's a double negative, I know, but still. You don't resist. Instead of resistance, which is the typical move of the ego, we are in a space of complete and utter non-resistance, yet full participation. This means that we don't actually allow for stuff to happen that could harm self or other, but we approach that entire, if you will, confrontation from a place of depth, from a place of love. So we're not fighting with, with ourselves, with others. And then... You get to practice this, especially if you have a spouse or partner, kids, or both, dog. We bring, we bring all of this, this practice that gets cultivated, nourished through meditation, we bring it into the world. That's the big test. That's the big test for infinite smile. Because that's what we're trying to do. We are, you know, we're a group of people. We all live in the world. We all have jobs. Thankfully. Um, and if we don't, if we don't have work, we're still living in a community of depth and support. Lots of human doings here, as well as human beings. Our goal is to become more that human being, as opposed to the continual human doing. And then engage, and re-engage, and re-engage, and recognize that that's why we're here. We are here to touch lives. We're here to open ourselves to others. And in that process of opening, the world changes us. And if the world can change us, then we can change the world. But not through war. We're not in a fight. We're not resisting. We're actually doing it from space. We start to see through shutting up and sitting still that we are nothing other than awakened space. There's nothing for us to cling to. All other beings are nothing other than awakened space. How we dance with that becomes something pretty amazing. Question?
skip? Is that a question? Or are you just... God, okay. You were just moved. <laughs> hey. As you go through a day, something happens and catches you. Mm -hmm. You get worked up about something. Yeah. How do you... I want to say reactivate witnessing awareness. That's not quite the right term. But you know what I mean? In other words... How do I put it in a... How, employ yeah, it? Wait, you know... Uh, break the spell of the, say, emotional state. Yeah. Is that clear? What that it is, means? it is. Um, in my own life, one of the things that's really been helpful the last few weeks is, and my wife and I were talking about this, uh, we find that... that I mean, as I've shared very openly with the Sangha, she and I are really, you know, we're struggling right now. Uh, the, the stresses of the kids, the jobs, the, you know, everything. And one of the things we've found is as we speak, when we start to dialogue about something, there are triggers that happen. And what we've committed to doing is when one person gets triggered... They call it. They say, uh, now you don't have to have a partner in order for this to happen, but I'm just using you know, my marriage as an example. Oh, I, you know what? I'm getting triggered right there. I need a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Slow everything down. So not only must the witness be employed, because the witness recognizes when you're triggered, right? That awareness, like, whoa, okay. Mm, I'm triggered. Can we wait for a little bit? Slow way down. And in that slowness, clarity starts showing up naturally. Now, it's not like, dear, what do you think of that? You know, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't go into that space, usually. Um, but although that, that might ease the trigger, um, uh, it's instead ultimately thoughtful or mindful of the space and you have to know where you are bodily in that space and also mentally in that space and so now that's with, that's with a partner but you can do that in whatever situation you're in whatever situation you're in yeah, yeah I so, had that happen this morning mm -hmm. you got triggered something triggered and what you just described is exactly the process to go through yeah it's to notice that the trigger that happened yeah and then to know that it takes some time to... Um... Did you notice when the trigger happened, and you notice the trigger happening, it's as if the bar straightened a little bit? Yeah, that's it. It's, it, yeah. It, it can't pull you as much the minute the, the witness, the seer, the noticer sees it. It diminishes its strength. Yeah. yeah. But it takes time. And that in the example you gave, that was very helpful. Yeah. Not to just see it. Well, that takes care of that. It's also it's also dependent on on situation. On the degree of the trigger. Well, yeah, and you know what? There's nothing. There's no greater trigger than family. Yeah. You know, those stories are so tight, and so they're so hardened, and they're so habitual, and so those can be among among the hardest to practice with. It's so much easier to practice with uh, being impatient in line. Or, you know, on the freeway or, you know, some, someone doing something that you don't like and, you know, while you're in line for coffee or something. 
Yeah. Is part of the key the articulation of what's caught you? Or just observing it without putting words to it? I think observing it without putting words to it can't help but affect the choice of words that are offered. So if the observation is there first, consciousness is brought to the resistance. Yeah? It undoes the resistance a little bit, and it takes emotional charge out of the words that are chosen. It takes, or emotional charge out of the way the words are expressed. But is it important to express the words to yourself? No. No, it is not important to express the words to yourself. If you're having a dialogue with another, those words become incredibly important. But oftentimes what you can find is that if, if you are like working um, on a situation, let's say, and you're alone and there's no real need to talk or anything, it's not that you need to put words to the situation. The observation in and of itself is enough to unhook you from whatever type of resistance might arise. So it, the, neat thing, the neat thing about this, this work is that the awareness of the clinging allows for the clinging to free itself. The awareness of what we identify with frees us from identification with whatever that might be. The more awareness we bring into these hard-to-reach places, the more these hard-to-reach places become more easily accessed and the more light is shown in them, at them. You know, instead of the light being just like a beam, you know, like a flashlight, suddenly it becomes much more, you know, diffuse. It's like high beams suddenly go on and everything's diffuse. And there's so much more flexibility, so much more availability, so much more in that spaciousness. But again, try it out. Don't take my word for that. I mean, try it out. You know, words, words can be so powerful and so unnecessary. And you get to choose which how you want it to be, how you want them to be used. You know. I happen to know that you're really good with words. You know, I mean, truly, truly. Sometimes um, they annoy me. (laughs) But that's just my resistance that I get to watch, you know. (laughs) But it's it's, uh, you know, like I've said before, I mean, you you're you're a, a brilliant guy. And so that can really get in the way of actually letting go of something we've identified with. I mean, since you were a little kid. You know, the fact that you were super-duper sharp. And so what happens when you kind of allow that super-duper sharp to, yeah, okay, that's a quality. It's, it's no longer how I, it's no longer what I need to advertise. It's no longer what I need to advertise to anybody else or myself. What happens to it? Does it go away? No, it's still there. But now it's no longer imbued with the power of ego. And so what happens? The words you choose then become offerings that go into a much deeper space come from a deeper space. And what does that do? It enhances everyone's spaciousness. It builds awareness. And there's no greater gift. 
Yeah. Yeah. As I sit um, and I notice that I'm thinking, so I go back to my breath. I do this repeatedly. Sometimes I'm in a thought longer than others, and sometimes I see it and go back to the breath. Is it a similar way then in, in which someone I get to be triggered somehow or have an re- emotional reaction? I find now that I catch that sooner and I pay attention to it, and then something can happen as a result. I don't know. I have an opportunity to do something different. Is that what you Absolutely right. And I would say that that opportunity to do something different, that's the fork in the road. You can choose something that actually serves awakening or diminishes it. So I notice my mind starts to build a case. It just starts to yeah. build a case until I get off. Yeah, exactly. Building a case. Sometimes, yeah, and, and sometimes it gets really intense. Sometimes um, I always find it fascinating when the case gets built and then the case gets articulated perfectly and then the order once that's you can tell it hasn't been felt then the order goes out for the brigades and then if the brigades don't work the nuclear exchange happens you know and this can happen like that and so what what do we do watch the trigger first watch the trigger first slow down breathe you know. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you.